All right, good afternoon, everyone, from the Presidio in San Francisco. I'm here with Ina Agarwal, the project specialist for artificial intelligence and machine learning here at the World Economic Forum Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Ina, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Amanda. Um, so, Ina, your story and your journey here um, has kind of not been a direct path. You've had a pretty no. varied background. So tell us yep. maybe a little bit first about what got you interested in, in joining the center and AI and yeah, kick us off from there. Yeah, sure. So in my previous life, I was a corporate lawyer focused on the startup and venture capital space. And I became really excited about how all of this technological change and innovation could be leveraged towards systematic change and helping people uh, most in need. So I decided that I would go back to law school and do a master's of law focused on tech policy and human rights. And so I was really interested in coming at it from the human lens. How are people going to be impacted by the changes that are occurring all around us? Um, and did that. Uh, and a lot of my work during that time focused on what was happening with the platform companies. And particularly in this transition from public to private power, you have companies that are having an outsized impact on democratic outcomes that are no longer just the state. So that became really interesting to me. And through that emerged this focus on AI because algorithms that are powering uh, social media platforms are ultimately driven by AI and are uh, only going to continue to be more so. Um, and then I started to see, well, AI is actually changing and defining infrastructure in applications all around us um, in ways that people may not even may not even realize. And so the potential um, to apply human rights, which is also a global universal framework uh, negotiated not in the particular interest of any state or group, but the individual has a really uh, good synergy to drive governance and AI. So it's a bit of a, a long answer, but that's uh, that's my journey and how I uh, got here. Yeah, and so I think the the governance aspect that you brought up is 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 very particular to our center here. Maybe for for those people who have not heard of our center for the fourth industrial revolution, could you maybe just give them a little bit of a of a top level overview of like what we're all about here? Yeah, sure. So. In a nutshell, what we are about here is creating multi-stakeholder governance solutions for new technologies. So what does that mean? That means not just thinking about what a government or a regulatory body might do to or enact as law, but also what corporations can be doing in industry and how we can bring together solutions that are informed by the different experts that are operating in this space, the different power players in this space, to effectively regulate, but not in a traditional legal sense necessarily, how these technologies will be developed, how they'll be used um, and adopted uh, through markets. And so... 
the you know artificial intelligence and machine learning is a very big broad topic area can you maybe tell us a little bit about some of the the more focused project areas within this larger portfolio that the team's working on yeah sure and i think that this is a great question because it allows us to provide illustration for what we were just talking about so uh, on the one hand we have a project that is focused on government procurement of ai and in the context of that project, we have an anchor partner, which is the UK government, and we've developed a set of principles and corresponding documentation that can apply for how governments should procure AI in their different departments um, and the different ways in which they would use it in the government. So we've been working with the UK government on that and uh, are almost set for them to pilot it uh, through one or more of their different departments. And then the goal is to learn and iterate on that pilot so that other countries can also deploy those uh, deploy the principles for their own procurement systems, given what the particular challenges and um, parameters for procurement are in those areas. Mm. Uh, so that's one project um, on the procurement side. And, you know, then we have another project that is a board toolkit, um, which is a multi-modular uh, web product that has been developed for boards to assess how AI will be used and deployed um, throughout their company. And so that's a project that doesn't have a government partner, but you can see equally would have a governance effect if it comes to be adopted um, and then established as a custom that boards look to these types of questions and ideas for thinking through how AI will define their companies going forward. And I think that, you know, how AI will be defining companies, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of emphasis that's being placed on how AI is changing the game. It's changing how, you know, we are, um, how we're working. It's changing how we're living. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of, you know, fear mongering. But I think maybe the, the best place to start off with is let's just take a top level view. How will artificial intelligence, in your opinion, drive you know, the, the fourth industrial revolution. We're at the center for the 4IR. <laughs> Let's talk yeah. about drivers of the 4IR. So the fourth industrial revolution is characterized by new technologies that are merging the physical and the digital worlds. And this creates new economies and changes the shape of industry. So AI is the fuel for these technologies as they apply in every aspect of our society from healthcare to education, but also things like disaster relief, which are going to become even more important with the ongoing effects of climate change. So advances in machine learning, um, which is a form of AI, will therefore determine how capacity and opportunity take shape in any system that we as humans are trying to build for our world. And so... Um... Where would you say currently, where is the impact of, of AI most visible? So I think, yeah, that's a, it's a good question because it helps us focus on what's happening today um, as 
compared to what could be happening in 10 or, or 50 years from now. And I think it's exciting for people to see, you know, where we are um, relative to where we could be going. So for the past few years, uh, AI-driven automation has allowed machines to increasingly perform tasks that were previously delegated uh, to workers. And this has eliminated the need for certain jobs, particularly those that are characterized by repetitive tasks. And I think that this is a story that uh, people are probably familiar with because it's been going on um, for a couple of years. Um, so, you know, accountants, factory workers, administrative assistants. Um, in other fields like radiology, for example, AI has supported imaging capabilities that go far beyond what the human eye could accomplish on its own. So this has changed the nature of the doctor's role as one that fundamentally exists in this field in partnership between human and AI. Uh, and another example of AI that has been particularly relevant and media forward in the past few years is algorithmic media consumption, which is kind of just a fancier way of referring to what uh, with social media. So social media platforms use data-driven algorithms to filter content to users, which influences uh, what people see, read, and think. Um, and so this has implications for how people participate in society um, and in relation to their government as citizens. And so um, if we were to look at, you know, if we were to jump ahead 10 years, 20 years, what do you think we're going to end up seeing with, with AI? What are we, what could we be talking about? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we will see a lot more jobs emerge that will exist in partnership with an AI. So it will be a human that is hopefully, um, and this goes, you know, to how we're educating and training people at every level of society, which will become very important for enabling the potential benefits of AI. But I think on the positive side, one of the things that we could see are really exciting opportunities where humans are working with machine capabilities to create progress to create solutions and productivity um, that doesn't even exist and that hopefully can help uplift more people, more communities around the world so that they're able to um, enjoy kind of the, the dignitarian promise that uh, we all strive for. Mm. And I think the, the forum's future of, future of jobs and the, the future of work reports that we do kind of speak a little bit to this point that you mentioned about how is going to be, yes, there's going to be job loss, but as things go forward, there's going to be hundreds of millions of new jobs created. So yeah, we don't even know maybe what, what new things could come from this. But I think um, one of the other topics we can kind of dive a little bit more deep into is some of the things you mentioned about, you know, a couple sectors being positively impacted by this. Can you maybe tell, you know, tell us a little bit more about some of the positive impacts from AI that you're excited about? So one impact that I'm really excited for is how AI is being used to enhance productivity for farmers in developing countries. So for example, by processing images and other sensory data, 
AI can be leveraged in these situations to identify diseased crops and make recommendations based on soil conditions for harvesting time and water management. And you could imagine how this has a profound implication for the betterment of humanity in these rural areas where a bad farming season could potentially destroy a village or a family. Um, and if you think about you know, how important agriculture is to the livelihood of so many people around the world, uh, particularly in developing nations, I think that you know, the, the magnitude of that is uh, really exciting uh, for the potential of AI and you know, particularly from a human rights perspective as well. Uh, and one other thing that I want to point out is that as AI technologies improve efficiency in industry, this greatly reduces the environmental impact that traditional manufacturing processes have had on the environment. And this is going to be critical in helping us to keep with the Paris Accords and limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by the year 2100. And just to illustrate the stakes of this, a rise of one and a half degrees versus two could cut the number of people that are exposed to water scarcity over this time by half. Um, and according to a re recent report by the United Nations, result in 190 fewer premature deaths just by reducing that amount by half a degree Celsius. And it, those examples are pretty powerful. And I think that it just shows how much potential that this technology has. But I think on the other side of the coin, there's there's a lot of people who are concerned about AI and concerned about this, you know, this power that it that it has. So I know at the center, what the teams are focused on is developing, you know, policy frameworks to maximize the benefits and minimize the risks. But can you maybe tell us a little bit more about like how should policy frameworks be adapted to include AI? So yeah, definitely. We spoke a bit about this question earlier um, when we talked about the multi-stakeholder governance that we are focused on with our platforms here at the forum. And I think that it's important that government work together with business, with civil society, and with academics to create rules that are going to enable innovation enable the potential of AI that we've been talking about and that we can talk a little bit about further, um, while also mitigating the risks. So, you know, we're not stopping the conversation at the risk level, um, but really figuring out how to balance the innovative and unlock the innovative potential while at the same time addressing concerns. And, you know, as you previewed, the concerns are myriad. Um, you know, we can think about how biased data sets can create discriminatory outcomes in um, hiring and in policing. Um, and, you know, there are certain technologies that are fundamentally supported by AI, like facial recognition, um, which are very powerful and we want to think about okay how do we want to structure the adoption of this from the ground floor if at all and so these are all questions that through our um, 
network of experts and the group of people that we are able to bring together as the forum, we are hoping to consider in a robust and interdisciplinary way that creates outcomes, creates governance structures that are not only enabling, but also protective and can be enforced. Um, so that's that's really the goal uh, that, that we're after here with that. So looking at a goal that's moving towards like interoperability and inclusive in- inclusion instead of having everybody adopt regulations in their own silos to have like silo, you know, AI policy for company one, this, you know, for country one, that's kind of what. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we, we here on the AI team at the forum have a, what's called a global AI council. And this is just started this year. And it's something that I'm really excited about. And with the council, we bring together leaders of world governments um, and industry, leading academic researchers and civil society members all to the table to identify what the governance gaps are in AI and what different types of projects sourcing resources and participation from different council members and people within their networks, um, you know, can be implemented to address these governance gaps. And, you know, the idea is that those, by by setting the tone, it will create an effect that works through the market um, and that works through perhaps industry bodies um, or industry associations that can hold the different companies and the different players to account who are operating in various spaces when it comes to AI development and use. Okay. And so I think, you know, a lot of those companies and governments are, are going to be very concerned about, you know, how AI will impact jobs. I know that's kind of going to be the the main concern, you know, from a government perspective, how can I make sure we're always offering our citizens new jobs and making sure the job market is healthy and robust. And I know from a business perspective, you know, it's in their interest as well uh, to keep people engaged and not just have AI doing, doing all the work. So maybe can you tell us a little bit more about how AI will impact jobs? Yeah, um, so this is actually a top priority area for our council. Um, We had our inaugural meeting here in May, and this emerged as really one of the top things that people, you know, not only ministers of AI and executives, but academics and researchers were saying, you know, this is what we need to be thinking about, and this is something that we need to put our resources towards solving. So I think that you're spot on in identifying it as a priority. Um, And really the consensus that emerged is focusing on how we can identify opportunity. So while it is true, um, and it's already happening, that AI will eliminate and change the nature of many jobs, it will also create new economic opportunities. And particularly in the instances that I had mentioned earlier for human machine augmentation. So thrill here and the potential that I hope people can focus on is for AI to eliminate routine tasks and thereby free up human capital to do more creative and meaningful forms of work. I think there's been a lot of research that's demonstrated that there are certain types of repetitive tasks 
that human beings really aren't that good at cognitively and really don't enjoy. Um, and yet, you know, it's it's true that we have had to, many people have had to exist in these types of jobs. So, you know, there is a fear, obviously, that AI is going to come over and take over these jobs and that the work then won't be available. But if we get the transition right, I believe that AI can support an economy where more people are deploying their creative and therefore deeply human abilities to create value. And so how should this reskilling be done to deal with this change and kind of make sure we get this transition right? Yeah. So it's an interesting question and I don't think there is any clear answer. Um, I think that the question is asked a lot and that's good. That's a starting step, but we haven't quite gotten to the point where there is a specific let's do this. But I will say that I think it's fundamental that we prioritize through media and education the mindset of lifelong learning. So the reality is that AI and supported technologies may evolve at such a rate that functions within the market arise and then become redundant in a matter of, say, 10 years. So we need to help people develop a strong enough skill set and the emotional resilience to be able to pivot with the times if a job that they were in and that they had signed up for or a field is no longer relevant. So thinking about it holistically, this is very different than how we have educated and trained people um, in our workforce and our society so far. Um, and as for reskilling at-risk workers, which uh, in terms of real time and what's happening today, which was part of your question, I think one avenue is to create public-private partnerships, uh, which is something that we at the forum have a platform um, and a role to, I think, help further and facilitate, which is one of the reasons that I'm here and one of the things that I'm most excited about in terms of the forum's unique capability um, and potential in this field. So. Um, for example, creating public-private partnerships that help businesses to cover the cost of reskilling by providing economic incentives and frameworks for businesses that might not otherwise uh, come together and to work together to, so to solve this joint sort of challenge. Um, I think this will in turn require reform in labor and fiscal policies. And so the forum provides a platform for stakeholders to work together on these issues. And you know, the bottom line here is that we really need to think seriously and creatively about how to invest in people. And, and so I think you, you bring up another another good point in that is that you know there's going to be all these different considerations and different things that we're going to have to anticipate. Some we're going to know now. Others we're going to have no idea how to approach that. And I think one of the other big things that people may not know how to approach is is the ethical considerations and how can we make sure we're protecting data and protecting ourselves as all of this, you know, information about us comes online and can be used by AI. So can you maybe talk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, definitely. So I think that there is an opportunity for government to learn here from the mistakes of private companies. And by creating an ethical framework um, within public institutions, it helps us to shape a future where the government is seen as a trusted innovator 
and I don't think that that's currently the case in most places um, with respect to people's perception of the government's um, role and competence when it comes to data regulation and AI. Um, and so going forward, I think governments should strive to create an ethical data governance structure that addresses issues such as data ownership, consent, privacy, and transparency, just to name a few issues. And at a policy level, I think that this should provide all relevant employees with clear guidelines given their specific role in the institution um, and the role that they're going to be expected to play. And what about the what about the legal framework? Like we, we currently don't have any. I don't think we have any laws regulating AI. Is that is that correct right now? Yeah, it actually it sounds kind of shocking to say out loud, but um, one of our law firm partners, Baker McKenzie, actually recently completed a multi jurisdictional survey and found that indeed we have no laws regulating AI anywhere, which I think is actually a direct quote from the lawyer who was spearheading the research. So we have a situation um, on a global scale in which current decisions are being made based on pre-existing local laws in relevant domains, such as product and privacy law, with a little bit of guidance from international treaties as well. Uh, so. This is problematic because the defining characteristics of AI weren't contemplated when these existing laws were enacted, which makes it likely that they are ill-suited to accomplishing the regulatory task of the AI issue in question. So the recommendation um, that has emerged in our conversations uh, to do with you know, how do we think about getting legal frameworks in place is to adopt sector-specific laws for AI rather than broad regulations that may fail to capture variants and important balancing concerns in specific AI applications. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's so interesting that there's just no laws right now anywhere in yeah. the world for regulating AI. I think that's just that's just crazy. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And I mean, I think it just goes to show that, you know, governments are really looking for experts, business leaders, others to kind of come in and help them understand what types of structures should be in place. Mm. And I think the other thing that I thought was kind of surprising from the research from from your team was was on AI and and children. And how there's also a lack of regulation on how AI is used, like in children's toys, even though we could, you know, we have a, there, there's a bunch of laws around privacy and, and protecting children when it comes to AI, there, there's an issue there. So maybe let's, let's talk, let's, let's take the positive side first. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, how, how will AI impact a child's education, right? You said there are different ways that AI could be you know, could be benefits or could, could benefit rather, um, you know, the educational system as, as well as a whole bunch of other sectors. But so, yeah, let's start with the good. Let's start with the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think that on a global level, if we're able to use AI to develop powerful, personalized learning platforms, this extends 
the ability to learn to areas and communities that typically haven't had access to these types of learning resources. You know, maybe um, kids don't have the the time to go to school, maybe the school's too far away, uh, or there's other concerns. But, you know, if there's, or other resource concerns that make it such that kids do not have access to, uh, you know, learning at a level that is required to be able to thrive in their own communities um, or participate in the global economy. Um, and so with AI, if we can you know, establish just a basic level of digital access, you see a potential for kids in marginalized communities all across the world to be able to learn um, and, and you know, get that foundational education. So uh, on that level, that is really exciting. And I think, you know, there are things being done in the educational tech space that are focused specifically on bringing this type of learning um, to, you know, rural communities across the globe. Um, And, you know, I also think that, so we we have a project here uh, called Generation AI. And... It's really interesting because unlike the board uh, toolkit project I mentioned that is run completely through the private sector and the public procurement project in which we are fundamentally aligned and working with government partners, this project is run in partnership with UNICEF. And we are focused here on developing on one side public policy guidelines that can be actionable through different uh, country offices focused on AI and corporate guidelines um, for companies that are developing AI that uh, reaches children to to use and thinking about how they will develop those products or services. Um, so one priority that has emerged from this work um, and our multi-stakeholder convenings that we've done here so far is the importance of incorporating developmental psychology into the relationship between a child's education and AI. So what does that mean? That means thinking about, you know, as we develop, there are certain moments when, you know, we're young, when we're young adults, that given the different developmental processes that are happening psychologically, there are windows of opportunity to reach kids in different ways. And so if we understand what those windows of opportunities are and are able to deliver AI-enabled learning tools that help take advantage of where kids are developmentally, you see a potential for them to really, really shine, perhaps, in ways that um, not as many kids would have otherwise had access to. And so, yeah, let's address the, let's address the other side of the coin, the, the, the privacy issue, issue for children. Is there going to be a big issue here? Is there things we can do to keep, keep children safe? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting because this is also a really central issue to the conversation and one that was discussed with many different uh, viewpoints within our Gen AI community. And what we have arrived at um, is that privacy rights are, of course, central to the conversation. But it's important that privacy doesn't shut down the conversation and is considered on balance with other rights. This really is a consensus that's emerging from the community of people that is 
focused on this work. So for example, the right to health or the right to education. Um, because you know the fact is that to unlock any of the positive applications of AI that we've been talking about, we need large and robust data sets to train these algorithms, to train them to be powerful and effective. And so we need to find solutions that can enable this data-driven insight while also keeping identifying data secure um, and protecting privacy. So the context is really key and a binary approach to privacy is really, I think, counterproductive to helping us advance in a healthy way on this trajectory um, with respect to children and AI. Uh, so one really interesting point that I also want to bring up that emerged from, that has been emerging from these conversations um, is the issue of data ownership um, and data stewardship. So particularly when and how parents should be permitted to sell or act as stewards for their child's data. Um, it, you know, it may not always be in the best interest of the child for a parent, depending on who that guardian is and how they're situated, what their knowledge is of the AI or, or data landscape. Um, that parent might not be in the best position to make decisions about their child's data that secure the child's data agency going forward and help to enable um, a, a privacy, a secure future for them. So it's just really kind of interesting to think about who are the stakeholders here and how can we create solutions that are going to operate in the best interests of the child agnostic of any one particular party. I know we've covered pretty much everything, I think, <laughs> across the spectrum about all the hot topics in AI. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, and thank you to everyone who is listening. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Amanda.